Welcome to the Untold Hour. It's your boy, Bowser, back again, holding it down solo. What did I say before? Solo with Bow Wow? Welcome to another edition of Solo with Bow Wow. Now I just need some air horns. Aristotle will put in some air horns and we'll be set. I'm very excited about this week's episode. Uh, We haven't interviewed many musicians on the show But I love talking to musicians. I love learning about their process. And this week we're talking to Sadie Dupuis. You may know her from the band Speedy Ortiz. She also has a band Sad 13, which is more of her solo project. And her new album, which comes out September 25th, is called Haunted Painting. And if you know anything about Speedy Ortiz, their aesthetic has always been very horror, quirk, kitsch-infused. And Sad 13 is the same. So we talk about her aesthetic inspirations behind her horror. We're going to listen to some songs from her upcoming album and learn about the inspirations behind those songs. And we're also going to hear about some personal paranormal experiences of her own. And we learn about Dudley Town, also known as the Village of the Damned. And, uh, and we talk about the Queen Mary, which kind of brings it full circle for the Untold Hour and Bizarre States. So, sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with Sadie Dupuis. Well, I'm very excited to be joined by a special guest today on the Untold Hour, Sadie Dupuis. How are you? Hello. As I said <laughs> before, totally neutral day. I think I think neutral is a is a is a pretty okay day to have. There's most been, you could sh- hope for. It's the most you can hope for right now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you're on the East Coast, correct? Yep, I'm in Philly. So how how have you been doing during lockdown? Are you staying pretty locked down? I'm pretty locked down. Do you have kind of down. a routine going? I saw uh, I saw a friend today for the third time since March. And we sat wow. very far from each other in an empty park. So yeah, that's about the extent of my my socializing or activity uh, yeah. indulging. How about you? I know. Uh, I mean, about the same. We, I've done a few uh, social distance hangs. But the last thing I did before everything went into lockdown, because I think it was close enough. We knew it was coming. I had quite a weekend. The last weekend, I like went and got a massage at my favorite... Oh massage place i went to my favorite movie theater here in la it's one of the draft house movie theaters love them and saw a horror film yeah and then i went to my favorite restaurant on sunday and had hot cakes and so i feel like i'm just you went out with a big bang i went out with a bang but i'm just longing for that like that was my farewell to normal life and i just want to get back to it I think I was I was just telling you before we got on mic that I went to see I still can't remember the name of the movie but the the Cecil Hotel themed screen life movie at a drive-in theater and that is probably my favorite thing I've done in I all of s- quarantine. I still have not done a done a drive-in. I've never been to a drive-in. Really? Have you been to drive-ins often? Did you go to them growing up? I well I grew up in New York City but I moved yeah. to Northwestern Connecticut for middle and high school. So I went to a couple, but, um, 
you asked me earlier if I I lived in Massachusetts for a while and it's yeah. a big thing up there. So I've I've been to them before, but I really want to go all the time now because the thing I like doing the most even, even on tour honestly is just going and hanging out at the movies. And I know. you mentioned Alamo. I worked at um, a video rental store in Austin, Texas when I was 20, and it was, like, my favorite job of all time. Oh, wow. And we had, like, a deal with the Draft House where their employees could rent as many movies as they wanted for free, and we could all go see any movie for free. So I clocked a lot of hours. um, Yeah. At the Alamo Ritz. (laughs) What a good trade. Yeah, I worked at a movie theater in high school in Maryland where I'm from. Oh, yeah. And that was just fantastic. I mean, we'd watch movies early. We'd uh, some of the projectionists were collectors of of films on film, so we would get we'd get like, oh, we got a print of Batman '89. We're all gonna mm. watch it and get drunk. And um, it's I think every movie lover has that era where they either work at a video store or a movie theater. Um, but having that draft house trade, that's oof. That's it was. Brilliant. I, I think I made about $5 an hour, but it yeah. was uh, the best job of my life. Yeah. Well, let's talk about, everybody knows you from your band Speedy Ortiz and Sad 13, but woven into both of those bands seems to be, a, how would you describe the aesthetic? It's very, um, I don't know, like horror, like horror quirk or horror kitsch. Yeah. Um, I love campy horror. And I'm always trying, like, um, and I love bad horror. I really (laughs) liked the show Scream Queens. And I feel like that's um, maybe a great way to define the aesthetic of both (laughs) Speedy Ortiz and Sad 13. Like pastel rainbow horror. Exactly. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen a movie called The Monster Club with Vincent Price? No, but I, I will now do that. You should watch it. I was uh, was listening to your album and happened to turn off the album and turn on this movie, The Monster Club, and it just felt very connected. It's this horror anthology movie from 1981 where Vincent Price plays an aging vampire and he invites a horror writer back to his monster club to learn about creatures. Yes, I've heard of this movie. Have you heard of it? And then there's yep. these bands like playing yep. at the Monster Club. And I was like, man, Sad 13 could be playing one of these songs off the new album at this Monster Club. I would really like to be the blend. band playing in a scary movie. Like if if we can get um, a Jennifer's Body remake, I would yeah. love to be the, the satanic band. The satanic, oh, like, totally. like straight lace looking indie band. Exactly. That like winds up getting sacrificed at some point or doing the sacrificing or doing the sacrificing well so what do you think began that uh that aesthetic for you were you just a big fan of horror films growing up yeah i've always really liked them uh the 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 funny early movie memories i have is i had um i had a best friend growing up our moms were both artists and um my mom's partner when I was growing up lived next door to my best friend's mom. So we spent a lot of time together growing up. Uh, and he certainly had more adventurous taste than an eight year old should. And I remember watching like all the Friday, the 13th movies at around that age. And then also seeing Jurassic park in theaters and being really scared of 
Jurassic Park, but not of all the slasher movies that we were watching. So I think right. I got used to kind of corny, campy, over-the-top screen violence at a young age and continued to like it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like there's something in horror movies that um, there's an understanding that like we're here to have fun. There's an adventure. There's a thrill. Um, yeah, I can watch. I can watch my favorite horror films and and then fall right to sleep. I don't mm-hmm. get you well, know, my adrenaline doesn't get triggered. It depends I, on the type of movie for me. What what's one that you can't do that with that actually gets under your skin? So there's a couple things I just can't do, and they tend more towards the. The ghostly and supernatural. Um, okay. If there's a really scary face, just a ghastly face, yeah, I can't do it. I just get the image stuck in there. Like I remember seeing The Grudge in theaters, and that was the first time I was like, I just can't do this movie, and I will be hiding behind my hands for the rest of the time. Right. So if we've got a masked k- killer, uh, if we've got you know horrible blood and torture that's fine when there's a scary supernatural ghost face tough for me when someone's crawling all around on the ceiling that is tough for me what about something like what about a modern version of that like the nun which is just kind of that haunted visage like over and over again of the sunken eyes i have a hard time with it yeah even like the momo meme before i knew the context of it it was a little hard for me to take in yeah well what about the members in your in your band were they always on board for the kind of uh spooky aesthetic because most of the music videos do involve uh all of you getting chased by something or there's a (laughs) slasher or there's ghosts were they always up for the uh up for that vibe yeah um the bassist of speedy darl was a film major um in his undergrad studies so he was always really into working on things like that. And our drummer, Mike, kind of similarly loves campy 80s horror. Um, so one often we would sort of, honestly, the two of them very often would collaboratively have ideas for videos. And they know that I like the sort of campy horror stuff. Um, so I remember one video we did was like a Haosu parody. Um, mm-hmm. We did another that I think was all just like David Lynch characters. Uh, yeah, I remember that one out. with you as the girl from Eraserhead. I think I did like six characters, and that yeah. that was really the two of them um, brainstorming a lot with my friend El Schneider, who's also a genre nut and has directed a lot of these videos for for both mm-hmm. Speedy and Sad Thirteen. Um, well, what about when you're writing? Do you like if I'm writing a horror project? I like to put on something just to fill kind of the ambiance. You know, I put on mostly an 80s horror film on VHS and I'll mute it, but it'll just be running as I write. And I write a lot of times to like John Carpenter scores just the best. over and over and over. Yeah. Do you do you try to get a spooky vibe going when you're creating music? Um, I think sometimes my brain just does it for me. Right, right. <laughs> sometimes I get there. so involved... Generally, I'm just pretty focused on working through the the composing when I'm in that state of the process. Um, yeah. 
but sometimes it can feel like such a mental loop that it feels a bit haunting just um, yeah. trying to solve the problem and being unable to go to sleep at, you know, five in the morning because I can't stop thinking about how to solve the problem of the music. So I just, I do just fine creating my own right. <laughs> spooky vibe without visuals. Right. Uh, What's an example of, of a problem that you would be obsessed with solving? Because I'm not a, I mean, I was in a band, I was in a band in the early 2000s, like a screamo band in Maryland. Nice. But um, yeah, we opened for uh, 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 the, what was the Circus Survive? I guess it was Circus Survive. Anthony Green, uh, anyway. We, we had a couple of moments of glory where we were like in alternative press as an unsigned band hey. to watch. And then we, you know, we worked with uh, Fred from Taking Back Sunday. And there was a moment where I was like, I'm going to be the screamo king I've always imagined I'd be. And then alas, it didn't pan out. Just but a different kind of Scream King. Just a diff- different kind of Scream King. So I don't write music, and I don't know what those problems... I can relate it to film and screenwriting, where I'm trying to connect a plot thread, and I can't get there. Or I need a character to to choose to do an action that the logic just isn't sound. And that's what I fixate on when I'm trying to fall asleep. How I don't do think I get it's that dissimilar. Character? I think it's yeah. really, really similar, at least for me. Because often what I'm... I don't tend to write a song unless I'm sitting at the computer with like my DAW open and trying to arrange the entire thing, like every single part. Um, mm-hmm. I get pretty decently far into pre-production before I ever go into a studio. So for me, the problems might be like something between verse two and chorus two is not working right. Or something about verse two is nagging me. It's not distinct enough. There aren't enough little audio Easter eggs. Um mm-hmm. Or it's too perky or it's too dark, you know, just the little tiny things that that feel off in a way that it doesn't feel um, perfect start to finish. So right. making indecipherable notes in my stickies app, which is right to <laughs> the left of our Zoom window. And I'm like, what weird notes are over there right now? Yeah. Um, that I'm like, OK, I need to go to bed or I just won't go to bed. So let me make notes so I remember to do this in the morning. But I'm just lying in bed like... But yeah. there needs to be a baritone guitar playing eighth notes somewhere. Right, right. <laughs> it's they not, are similar. I think it's the yeah. same. <laughs> yeah. Are you, I think this was in Stephen King's book on writing, but I think, but his advice was never to back away from the computer or the instrument or the typewriter when you're blocked. Always stop when you're like on a roll, he mm. said, because then you won't be intimidated to sit down the next day. You know the next step. And I've tried to do that. I never stop writing uh, unless I can see the next page or two. And I and it's hard because I'm excited. I could keep going. But I tell myself, now's the time to go to sleep because I'll be able to start tomorrow with fervor. Do you try to get to a place where you're, you're feeling completion before you step away? Or do you do that where you kind of cut yourself off while you're in the groove so you can return to it? Um... both I think that the reason that I have a hard time stepping away is like the same reason I can't deal with with ghost faces um (laughs) which is that I have OCD so uh often when I start a project the hyper focus and like attention disorder to the extent of ignoring everything else I need to do is like not I know it's not good for me yeah Um, and but I can't stop thinking about it once I've started it so Once I, you know, I used to write songs so differently, I would just probably be watching some marathon on TV 
um, noodling around. And then I would, you know, make a demo from that. And it'd be very simple because I was just making it at home with me without any real recording experience. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, I think, how a lot of songwriters write. Um, but as I started touring more, my time at home was very limited. And so um, I got deeper into like really fully producing things. And I think because I'm so interested in that, the amount of time it takes me to write a song, I don't just sit down for an hour, noodle on guitar, and there's a song. It's like, I know I'm going to, I wish it was like video games that clock how many hours you're working on something. Because yeah. when I think about how many hours I put into one session on the song, it's like days. Um, so dividing up the work so that my brain can feel like it finished with its task for the day. Like I'll tell right. myself, today you're just programming drums and bass and that's it. And then maybe I do have some other ideas and I can keep notes, but I'll set them aside for the next day. Uh, that, right. That helps me a lot. Just I, yeah. at least telling myself I'm going to do it in chunks, even if I don't. Even if you don't. Oh, for sure. I can relate to that. I try to limit myself... I try to limit the number of projects I'll kind of juggle mentally. Mm. I'll say, okay, look, you're finishing this rewrite on this on this feature idea before you think about another short film you could shoot in your house for no money. Like, <laughs> sit down and write. That feature has to get done. But then my mind inevitably goes to, well, nobody's waiting to fund the feature. That's more of a dream project. You could shoot that short in a matter of two weeks. And then, you know... Pretty soon I've stacked five short films that I want to shoot over the next month. And now you can't get to the feature. And now I can't get to the feature. And then I feel that kind of chasing me like you didn't finish that thing. And I have a really hard time separating projects. I I was going to shoot something in a few weeks and I thought, perfect. That's just enough time to prep for it comfortably, rehearse comfortably, get all the props together and, and be very calm about it. And then I, my mind just thought, yeah, but you could shoot something else in those three weeks. And I was like, you're right, I could. And then it's just this influx of now everything is crazy because mm-hmm. I'm trying to shoot something else. And I have to get more. Um, and I don't know where that comes from because I'm very organized, but I just think I have a hard time sitting still. So I'd rather be in the chaos than. I back myself into that same corner. Where I'll, you know, sort of have a timeline in my mind, like, here are the big projects I know I need to get done this year. And then collaborative projects or production for other people or, you know, even just charity compilations come up. And Mm -hmm. I'm so excited by them. I'm like, yeah, I can make space for that. And then suddenly there's no space at all. And I wonder why I feel fully insane. Yeah, totally. I'm going to ask a question that uh, if you don't relate to, it'll just me make me look weird. <laughs> but because uh, I've struggled with fixating and some OCD problems in my past. And a lot of times they were, well, I'd like to think they were separate from my creative process. But I've learned as I've gotten older, they weren't very separate. But one area that they still creep up in is I'll get an idea for a certain project while I'm out on a hike. And most of the time I'll write it down. It's like it's there. I captured mm-hmm. it. I won't forget it. It's there. But sometimes I'll get an idea, then a second and a third, and I'll forget one of them. And it'll just be this little floating detail that may or may or may not have been consequential. I mean, it might have been uh, unimportant, but my brain says, no, that was the one idea that was going to make it all work. And it's gone. And I just become convinced that I lost the one little kernel that was going to make everything snap into place, which is Insane. I can read the script and be like, it's not missing much. 
whatever that floaty idea was that I lost on my hike wasn't going to save everything. I know that but feeling, I, though. I fixate, and I think, well, it's gone now. It's gone. I'm very similar. I keep a lot of notes. Basically, any songwriting I do now, because as I said, I'm not home enough to just sit around on the couch and noodle on guitar. So I don't even really write on an instrument anymore. I just come up with melodies while I'm like in the car at a rest stop on tour, Mm -hmm. you know, some inconvenient place where I don't have access to an instrument or a computer. And I'd sing it into my phone and maybe... Eight months later, I'm off tour, and it's time to sift through all the voice memos. And the voice memos, I'm pretty good about making time to do. And if I'm around a lot of people, I'll just hum it over and over in my head until I can be alone to do it. But um, words and phrases and things that I think would be cool ideas for poetry or lyrics, I get so ticked off if... I I hear one or think of one, I think it's going to be great. And sometimes I... I, uh, probably frustrate my partner because i'll be like oh these three words like please remember that don't let me forget Mm -hmm. i'm gonna my phone is dead don't let me forget and 10 minutes later i'm uh majorly annoyed that that he did not remember either so right and you're like that was the one that was the classic that was perfect yeah well how does a song start for you do you is it always a melody or could it be just a phrase do you ever get inspired by just an image and you and that's the song how to how i'm sure it's different every time but um, how, for the most part, do songs kind of first show themselves to you? Yeah, I, I tend to do all the music first, um, and I might use an image to dictate the lyrics once I kind of have a, a musical structure in place. Um, and sometimes if, you know, in some inconvenient place where I need to remember the exact melody, um, it'll come with like some words attached to it, just as I was showering or whatever else. Um, but often it's like nonsense words. And so I, I kind of, at this point tend to sift through all my voice memos and I'll see if there are a couple parts that feel like they would be cool together. Um, which for me is a kind of a cool arrangement tool because it means I can wind up with sections that are different tempos, different time signatures, um, and trying to figure out how to connect them together I don't know. It like that's a fun puzzle in its own way. And if I just yeah. sat down to write a song, I might not get to so many different places. Um, and then the lyrics tend to be kind of the last thing. So I might be like, I really want to write a song about Jennifer's body. So I'm gonna find some way to make these <laughs> lyrics an allegory for for that. Um, yeah. So you're yeah. saying sometimes you. So sometimes there's even pieces that seem like they're from separate songs that wind yeah, up becoming. I mean, sometimes it's yeah. like a voice memo from one year and then one from two years later and then one from totally you know the day i sat down to write and that's what winds up the song mm-hmm. i was explaining to a friend of mine recently who i'm just collaborating with on a short film in a couple of weeks i was like i'm really excited about this short because it was actually part of an idea i had a year ago and then an idea that i had a couple of weeks ago and i thought they weren't related but they actually kind of came together for yeah. this and she was like Oh, okay. Well, I guess I she's think like, that's really I don't, fun. It's I like don't live pre- in your head, so I don't know. But yeah. You gave yourself a present, you in the past. Hey, was, that's exactly what it was. That's exactly, I may have even said it that way to her. Like, I gave myself a present. The fact that these connected paid off, like, months of ideating for myself. 
The um, comparison I made recently is if you look at like big pop songs, there is often a list of like 10 different writers on it. And yeah. I, I don't really play well with others in composing, but I, yeah. I'm like, oh, I had all these like 10 versions of me from the past that uh, I was able to mediate them amongst exactly. each other. So I'm, I'm similar in the sense that um, I'm, I, I think I'm a good collaborator, but I guess when it comes to the initial idea and writing it does it's hard for me to collaborate um i do wind up having to uh i rely on myself and i don't know what that is i don't intentionally make myself an island but um it just seems to be it's more seamless that way if Mm -hmm. i'm the one figuring out how everything stitches together and where it all goes and how it pays off um well that kind of leads me to my question what is the difference between uh when you would sit down to write a sad 13 album or speedy ortiz do you are there songs did the songs come from a different place for you or from a different perspective or is it just the subject matter for you may say well this is a sad 13 record i know i kind of wonder myself what the difference is at this point (laughs) um when i started speedy ortiz it was my solo project apart from the band i was in uh had been in for years which was more of a collaborative project um and I wanted a chance to be able to home record and to play all the instruments myself. And so I started Speedy Ortiz to do that. Um, and people kind of liked it a lot more than the band I had been playing with for five years. So suddenly there were opportunities for the Speedy Ortiz project, which didn't have a band. It was just like me like playing drums and recording them in the most idiotic way possible. Uh, so I kind of recruited friends to to play those songs with me um and going forward they kind of became the the band both for recording and for touring who played those the songs that I wrote um and obviously that was great and I love members of Speedy past and present um but I really missed having an outlet to home record because that's something I've done since I was a little kid um and at some point it was, got, you know, Speedy had all these great opportunities. We got to work in amazing studios, but I missed having the, that, that outlet of control of being able to produce, of being able to play instruments that aren't the thing I play on stage. Yeah. Um, so I started Sad 13 to be that project because Speedy no longer was, even though I still write all the songs for both. I just wanted a chance to produce and to, you know, to play the bass, to play the drums or at least write the drums. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I started it as kind of a bedroom pop project and I just recorded the whole thing at home in two weeks. Um, and that was sort of the distinction at that time. Like sad 13 was the pop project. The first thing I put out was a song with Lizzo. Like it was sort of a different realm than speedy. Um, this record is a little more rock. Uh, Mm -hmm. I did wind up doing it in studios. Um, so it's a little more hi-fi. So I think it probably sounds closer to speedy than the first one did and in between the last speedy record that came out i think because i had so much fun producing this ad 13 record i wound up recording all the synths on the last speedy record at home so Mm -hmm. it's still there's like there's more crossover between the projects than i'd planned when i started but to me that's the big distinction am i the producer did i play or write every note then it's ad 13 did i let my friends come hang out um did I let them say like, "Hey, I wrote a better bass part than you did"? That's, right. That's the speedy stuff. That's a speedy song. Well, so we're gonna listen to. Let's listen to a song 
from your new album, which is out in September, correct? Yes, September 25th. September 25th. The album is Haunted Painting. And the first song we're going to listen to is WTD. Unless unless you say that title any differently. That's the I know way. The, that's the way WTD. Mm-hmm. In the song, you'll hear what WTD stands for. But uh, let's take a listen to WTD from the upcoming Sad 13 album.
All right. So are there any specific stories uh, in regards to that song, WTD, how you wrote it, what it means to you? And then beyond that, I also just want to know where the album title came from, Haunted Painting, since this is a spooky podcast. I have a good story about the title, but I'll give you the, the boring song spiel first. <laughs> okay. Um, it's one of, the, one of the less haunted songs on the album, I would say. Um but also one of the first ones that I worked on for it. I think probably the first one I recorded for it. And similarly, this was a song that I had in a voice memo. I was like, this melody's so good. I think a, a couple of the different sections were just different voice memos over the past few years of touring. And I'd sort of figured out in my head how they all worked together. And I felt an overwhelming sense of dread at taking on the project of putting them together, kind of in the way that you're like, I'll take on all these no pay projects because I don't want to work on my feature. I just did not want to work on this album. I was happy to work on all these other small projects, but the thought of doing a new record was just like really overwhelming me in a, in a, a way that I'm, I like went back to therapy and I'm really psyched I did. So, um, WTD, I had written, surrounding some article I read about uh, eco-gentrification and climate change. And it was specifically an article about uh, basically billionaires wanting to build housing in the ocean uh, that would be impervious to rising water levels. Um, And also about like heat death and trying to build housing for the wealthy that would protect them against heat death, which of course the construction of these projects is contributing to the rising temperatures. Right. So it was kind of a cheeky dystopian song about from the perspective of the uber wealthy, like what's the drama if I destroy the planet, it'll be fine right, for me. Yeah. I can go to the sea or space. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, so where did haunted painting come from? Yeah, so I did. Uh, I didn't want to work on this record. I did. Um, I met with this really great person, Erin Tonkin, who recorded two of the songs, and she is really, really cool. She worked with David Bowie. Um, she's produced a lot of like newer bands that I like, like Lady Lamb and Pix. And our her manager kind of set us up on a a friend date. Um, <laughs> and I, as someone who who is interested in engineering and producing. Uh, I had only hired men to engineer records in the past, which was weird because I am frequently on panels for women in audio engineering. I've hosted them. Um, so I, for years, I haven't wanted that to be the case, but I felt mentally blocked from working on an album. So I met Aaron and was like, what if we just do two songs? I tell myself it's not an album and yeah. that will be my baby step into trying to work on new stuff. So I did this session with her. And then I went to Seattle right after to um, to do a poetry reading for, it was like an Allen Ginsberg festival. Uh, and I got flown out. It was very cool. I got put in this fancy hotel um, with my friend Dorothy Alasky, who's one of my favorite poets and someone who's also very interested in haunted things and creepy Ooh. things. And when mm-hmm. I'm on tour, I'm only ever trying, if, if we stay in a hotel, which is not that often, but if we do... I'm always trying to stay in a haunted hotel. Yeah. I would like to see a hotel ghost. It has not happened for me yet. Um, and this hotel we were staying in had the reputation of being the most haunted hotel in Seattle, specifically the floor my friend was staying on. So we stayed up all night just going outside the different rooms. In her room was supposed to be haunted, just trying to see something, experience, feel something, say hello, 
in a in a positive way to whatever spirits live there. And we didn't get anything, and I was a little sad. Um, uh, yeah. But the next day, I went to a museum a couple blocks away, the Fry Gallery in Seattle, and they have a room that's all portraits, and it's very, like, gallery-stacked walls. There's not too much white space. It's all these 20th century portraits, a lot of them of women, uh, in these, like, gilded gold frames. And there are a couple by this artist, Franz Stuck, um, German expressionist, that are just really creepy looking. Um, there's one that I can send you a picture of, of this dancer, Saharit. Um, and it just looks, when I tell you that I don't like ghoul faces Ghastly in movies, faces, yeah. she kind of has one, especially in mm. this portrait. And I was just very captivated by it. And I think a lot of why I hadn't wanted to work on an album is I was sorting through some mental health stuff. I was grieving some mm -hmm. people I'd lost. And I just looked at this portrait and, and identified with the creepiest thing I could see in the room. So to me, that was the haunted painting. And I felt like um, I needed to make my own to sort of move forward with working on art. And that that's when I kind of started working on the record in earnest. Isn't that so interesting? I mean, I, you know, I hate to sound cheesy, but it really is... Um it's really important to be inspired by art. I, I, yeah. you know, I, I went to a visual performing arts high school in uh -huh. Maryland, and then I went to uh, an arts college. I went to the School of Visual Arts, SVA in New York. And all they teach you is like, surround yourself with art, look at other people's work, be inspired by it, deconstruct it, critique it. And, and you know, then I don't know, there's a certain age, at least for me, where I got, and I was like, well, I think I've seen it all right. Like I've seen most, I've seen it all right. I kind of, I've gotten all my inspiration. It's in there somewhere from whatever I looked at in high school and college. And, um, but then I, I mean, this is going to make me sound so incredibly dumb, but, um, I, uh, I had never seen the, I was going through a, a, a drought, uh, last year sometime. I lost a job that was well, like my home for six years and where I was constantly making content and constantly directing. And, um, and I was just kind of floating and not inspired and then i i watched the brian de palma film blowout and i'd never seen it and it just remind i just my mind was blown and it just kind of opened me back up to ideas and wanting to express my own ideas it, it didn't directly inspire anything for me like my blowout yeah. but the ideas that were there the innovation that was there the just the power of the camera and the language of the movie reminded me that uh oh i kind of need to constantly be inspired and it opened up you know a bunch of projects for me just uh, internally it opened up some things um and that's so great that now you have an album that can directly point to even by its title this work of art that like directly opened things up for you kind yeah. of unclogged some things i think I, i'm very similar in that way and i love even if i don't like something once I start it, I want to see it through to its end, even if it's yeah. to understand like what I don't like. And I think um, I'm very, to, to the point where I kind of wish I would return more to things that I love, but I always want to find out about something new, whether that's mm -hmm. a book or, you know, a writer or movies or albums. Um, I love to, to check out new things and see them through to the end, even if I totally hate them, because for me, just having the language to clarify what's redeeming about it or even what is turning me off about it um, just helps me clarify where I am at with my own work and what I want to explore and what I want to step away from. 
That's exactly right. I, I often, I have a hard time explaining to people, you know, sure, there's some movies where I'd say, well, I just hate it. But rarely, I'd rather talk about what worked and what didn't work. And it is often to, however you just put it, is exactly uh, the right way to put it. It helps me stay clear about what I'm trying to do and my work. So if I say to a friend, well, I don't, I don't feel like the, the characters were well-developed in that film for me to care about what happened to them. And my friend says, oh, you just need to let that go. I can't let it go because when I sit down to write, I have to keep that rule that my characters need to be developed and my characters need to feel grounded and believed in. If I just throw out those rules when I'm criticizing other people's work, I won't keep them for myself, which I think is, I guess, the difference between maybe people that create and from a certain place of, uh, it sounds hard, weird to say rule keeping, but with a certain mantra or a certain integrity intact, yeah, you're gonna have rules. I'm for constantly yourself. trying to make up rules for myself, or just. I think for for me at least, I used to be um, before I went to grad school, and then somehow wound up in a band. Um, I was a music critic, and so I was always listening to things with you know what are the pluses and minuses. If I love it, I'm gonna have right. to find one thing that's the you know room for improvement. If I hate it, I'm going to have to find a couple things that are redeeming. So it's really hard for me to look at things in any other way. Um, And then especially as like someone who's making art, I can say like, oh, my God, I love this new, you know, Lady Gaga album. But I hate this one thing Lady Gaga does. And now I will keep away from it in my own work. And I think maybe in music more than in film or tv but the the stan culture doesn't really allow you to talk about things you enjoy in that way um right even though that's like what's fun for me in talking about media saying like i love this thing even though the character development is so terrible like you asked me about this movie at the start of uh when we were talking and i was like oh it's bad but i loved it uh oh right like but yeah, that's I, I was I was also talking about a movie. Uh, wait, did I say this within the episode? I guess I did. Uh, the Monster Club. Mm-hmm. You know this Vincent Price movie. When it came out, it was just well another kind of trash late in life Vincent Price horror movie. Throw it in the waste bin. You know, just nothing about it was appreciated because of where it landed. I guess you know in culture at the time. But I'm watching it and I'm like, first of all, there's better examples of a certain aesthetic that I love in this film than I've found in many movies. Mm. There's this neon lit bar that he's in where he's talking to another horror writer about different creatures. And there's this painting on the wall of kind of like how a vampire, if a vampire mates with a werewolf, it it produces this. And if a werewolf mates with a ghoul, it produces that. And I was like, I've never seen that, like a family tree of creatures. And so, yeah, for me, those would be the takeaways from that film is these great... uh, set dressing and great yeah. production design and and also the the anthology the films are are still very clean there there's a clear moral there's a clear twist donald pleasance from halloween plays a vampire hunter Amazing. so i can't get that anywhere else um yeah so you see all the bits and pieces that kind of factor into the thing and you're able to kind of suss through what works and what doesn't work So 
you have personal experiences with the paranormal as well, right? I know that you bit, seek yeah. out haunted hotels. I do. Have you ever stayed at the Monte Vista in Arizona? I haven't. Where is that? I want to say Scottsdale, but I'm I could be wrong. I'm to just Google wrong. it now, but I know that will create horrible typing noise, but let's just do it. Well, that's okay. You, you could Google it so that it's there for you to look up later yeah. because you may, if you are in Arizona, if, if, if touring resumes, if, you know, people, if traveling resumes. Oh, it's Flagstaff. It's in Flagstaff. Flagstaff. I haven't been here. That was a hotel that I'd been told numerous times was like the most haunted hotel you could stay in. And what happened? What's wrong? (laughs) I think the way it's been explained to me is that every floor has a different story. Uh, there's like, well, there's the girl, you know, there's the child on floor 11. Well, then there's the old man in the basement. Well, then we have the family that's on floor eight that died in the elevator. You know, it's, it's got a million stories. And I think it's, it's been, um, it's not one where the hotel shies away from. A lot of times you go to a place. um, I happened to stay at a hotel that was famous for being haunted. And I stayed there during the like six month period where they were trying to shed that image. Where, what, what so was they, it? It was the Stanley. It was the Stanley uh, Hotel, and uh, they were gonna. They were saying, "No, we're not doing ghost hunts anymore. We're not even putting our our reputation out there online. We're cleansing that from our image." And I was there with like you know with my co-host from this podcast, Jessica, who's out of town right now. And we were like, "So you're not even gonna talk to us about the ghosts?" They're like, "No, sorry." Such a bummer. you gotta find like, the like secret staff member who wants to talk to you about right it. that's who usually my dish, my yeah. strategy uh, so you haven't ever experienced a hotel ghost but actually, you have experienced I did have some a, other a somewhat um i stayed on the the queen mary uh outside yeah. of la recently which is um an ocean liner that's been turned into a hotel and there are a number of ghosts that are reported to haunt it um and I was there in January for for like a gear uh, for Nam the gear conference, right? Um, and I was just kind of st- sick of staying in Anaheim, so I went there for one night with another friend, and we kind of looked up all of the the legends of um, where the ghosts were supposed to be, and kind of went around those rooms. But I think my approach in in ghost hunting is always to be really respectful and kind to the ghosts, because when you say yeah. that like the hotels are trying to shed that image. It's because while there are people like us who may be interested in these things and are coming from it from a respectful place, I think it also attracts a lot of people who just are (laughs) garbage, uh, not only to the properties they're staying on, but to whatever like spirits may be there. Um, So my friend and I were just very respectful. We went outside the most haunted room in the place and thanked like the ghosts for letting us hang out in their space and sorry if we're keeping them up and like thanks for hanging out with us. And we saw a couple kind of weird shadowy things. We heard some weird sounds, but it felt like a good positive energy thing. So that's the... I don't usually pick up on a, a vibe or an energy other than the, the few more explicit haunted experiences that I guess we'll get to. Um, but this yeah. is the first time in a hotel where I've been like, I feel that someone's here, but I think it's in a positive way and they just, you know, are thankful for some company. Yeah, we're very big on on not antagonizing the environment or the spirits when mm-hmm. we've gone ghost hunting and, and any kind of teams that we've linked up with are are on the same tip, whereas there's plenty of shows you can watch where it's as if the approach is, hey, ghost, hey, fuck you, ghost. Yep. You know, it's like you're trying to get them angry to reveal themselves. 
Well, so tell me about some of the supernatural experiences um, that have affected you personally. Yeah. Um, well, I think when I became interested in stuff like this, have you heard of Dudley Town? Is Dudley Town, as in Dudley Town, Connecticut? Yes. Yeah. Village of the Damned, right? Yeah. Is it the website yeah. that has all the, the maps and stuff? Yeah, that's. Oh, there was an episode of our podcast a while ago where somebody else had brought this up to us, and then, but they were there to talk about a different topic, and we did not deep dive into this. Well, I'll, I'll deep remember, dive into Dudley Town. Yeah, if you, I remember if like. just vaguely. Um, I'd so, love it. So I grew up. Well, I grew up in New York City, as I said. My mom moved to Northwest Connecticut uh, when I was in middle and high school, um, and she actually taught at the public school in the town where Dudley Town uh, was. So I sort of became aware of it. For people who don't know anything about it, it's um, it's no longer, it's a, it's a ghost town at this point. There's really just foundations of buildings. Um, but between like the early 1600s and early 20th century, people kept trying to settle this area. Um, and just a wild amount of strange deaths um, and I actually at some point went to the town library and pull, pulled out a book from like 1930 that lists uh, in very like funny 1930s historical language all the ways that people had died in Dudley Town. So we've got a bunch of people who are being struck by lightning. Um, there's a lot of people who are being murdered by indigenous tribes that they probably did a lot of murdering to first. So is that right. like a curse or are Americans just utter assholes? Um, those right. are some of the deaths. There's a lot of people going mad that sort of later has been accounted for by, um, they think there's iron in the, in the water and that's why people basically weren't able to live there. Um, so at some point in the promoting Ghostbusters, I think in Playboy, Bill Murray said this is the most haunted place in America. Oh, really? Um, and also the Warrens had said this is the worst energy of any place we've ever been to. Um, wow. Oh, and I think the final sort of dramatic ending to Dudley Town is uh, a bunch of like wealthy doctors from New York had tried to make it a country club type area. And I want to say Horace Greeley's wife died by suicide there. Really? Some... Some famous spouse died by suicide at Dudley Town. Okay. At which point people basically dispersed and there's families surrounding it. Um, but between the Warrens saying this, this is so haunted and in Playboy, it's the most haunted place on earth. It attracts a lot of the kind of ghost hunters that you're describing who want to antagonize right. the ghosts. So um, there's very, very strict security around the area. I've driven sort of near it and into it by accident and had police come after me in a couple minutes. And this is a really Ugh. rural area, like one stoplight towns. You've got to drive half an hour for a gas station. Mm -hmm. So the police don't have a ton to do, but like, why are they protecting this area? So people are very, mm -hmm. uh, what are they hiding? Which is not how I feel about it. But I did start going there in early high school. I was really interested in it, um, taking pictures and seeing orbs and that kind of stuff. And the thing about it that people account for is like haunted energy is that um it's super rural it's you know woods with lots of animal life once you start getting close to dudley town you don't hear any birds or nature sounds in the way you do in the you know if you walk one mile back towards civilization which is right again probably accounted for by the fact that there's so much iron in the water or is it lead mm -hmm. that i mean i think i mean lead um, maybe yeah 
it's not hospital to life, but, uh, yeah. So that was sort of my first interest in like ghost hunting stuff. Um, Hey, I feel like, um, I, I feel like there was something recently that came up about Dudley town. Um, it was, it, it, it wasn't the Bill Murray quote, but as you started talking about it, it felt very familiar to me. Um, well, I believe oh they partially gosh. based Blair Witch on it too. Oh, that's exactly what it was. I listened yeah. to a podcast recently about, uh, the Blair Witch project and how it kind of became what it became. And then also how those filmmakers kind of, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, kind of botched their careers after that because they they said no to a lot of what the uh, studio wanted as far as a sequel or a prequel. And so it was this deep dive into the Blair Witch. And when they were pulling for the mythology of the Blair Witch, yeah. they looked at Dudley Town. That's exactly what it was. So I, I think when I moved up there was perhaps the year Blair Witch came out. Um, oh, wow. A movie my dad took me to see. Like I, I kept seeing these scary movies, perhaps slightly too young. Uh, yeah, but it was something that people were interested in in the town. And I had a bandmate who um, my like first band in high school, who was also really interested in this stuff. And she lived in a haunted house. Um, and w- I had one experience with her there ever. It was like uh, the 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 story of why her house was haunted was that a woman had um, died in a, a drunk driving accident um, outside of her house. Again, it's a very rural area windy roads, old trees, um, sadly very common. Yeah. Um, and every day around the time that this woman had died, there'd be knocking at the front door, which the family sort of always explained as that's when the heat kicks in and it's causing old wood in the house to, uh, rattle around. But we had one experience where we were staying at home. Her parents were not there. We were probably watching, we're probably watching Shrek. It's like, you know, this is early 2000s. <laughs> Which is scary sleepover. enough as it is. Fair enough. Um, yeah. And, of course, all the doors had been locked in the house. And she's in one of these old New England houses where there's lots of doors throughout the hallways um, that had all been shut as well. And at some point, we started hearing lots of doors opening in the house, um, like hmm. opening and closing. And I think we thought that perhaps... Her dad had come home and was messing with us, but no one was home and all the doors um, out into the house were still still locked. So every door in the house that had been closed, we found open. And uh, that's, I think that was the first time I felt that a ghost was pranking me. Did your, did your friend feel like something was up? Or yeah, were we they... were both freaked and like very yeah. upset. I was staying with a friend in New Jersey once who's... Um, uh grandmother had just passed away Mm. and and we had visited that house while the grandmother was alive quite often and then she passed away and i went with the family because they were doing multiple trips to the jersey house to like clean it out and i think uh i think eventually actually they just wound up uh giving the house to one of their relatives and somebody else lived in it but we were there and i mean it was like the week after his grandmother had passed and we would always play video games in the basement which was uh adjoined with the grandmother's bedroom and uh, I was like, to my friend, Alex, I was like, are you at all kind of creeped out to be here? And he was like, no, nothing bothered him. He was the most pragmatic. Um, like we had, it was, it was around the time Jeffrey Dahmer was caught. Okay. And so there was all this stuff on the news of these, of these, uh, you know, uh, agents carrying out the barrels yeah. of what we know had remains in them. 
And I remember being so disturbed by it. And my buddy Alex was like, we were obsessed with Weird Al. He was like, we should write a Weird Al song about Jeffrey Dahmer. And I All was right. like, okay. And uh, and it we did that weekend. We like watched UHF, the Weird Al movie, and wrote a Jeffrey Dahmer Weird Al song. But I remember it, like, it scared the shit out of me. I was like, I don't know if I'm ready to laugh about the thing that is currently happening that's right. scaring the shit out of me. But it didn't bother my buddy Alex. So anyway, we're sitting in his basement of his grandmother's house playing like Sega NHL hockey. And uh, the door to his grandmother's room, it not only opened, it's if in my memory, it's like the doorknob turned Mm. and then it opened. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, did you? And he was like, yeah, I don't know. The door has been opening like that sometimes. I'm like, and you're just cool. (laughs) He's like, just went back to playing Sega hockey. Not phased. Scared me to death. Yeah. Um, well, this is a good segue to play your next song because oh, sure. it's called Ghost. <laughs> yes. And we've been talking about Ghost. Uh, let's listen to the song and then maybe you can tell me a bit about it when we're back. Sure. Step to 
So can you tell us a little bit about that song? Where did that song come from for you? And is it about an actual supernatural (laughs) ghost or some other kind of ghost? Well, I I think you'll maybe like the story more than other people who I feel like I'm rambling to when I tell them it. Um, You know, when people like come up with the the titular track after they've done the rest of it, this album was already Mm -hmm. called Haunted Painting. I already had 10 songs for it. And... um, some of it's a little bit heavy. It's a lot. It's about grief. It's the first Sad Thirteen album is very, very poppy. Um, some of this one is, and some of it's less. And I knew I wanted another very poppy song. I love party songs. I love Charlie mm. XCX. Any mm-hmm. song about a party or the club is a song I love. I am in my thirties, and I just no longer care to party or go to clubs uh, in, yeah. in a way that I once did. I'm no longer happy to be out at like a weird basement show until four in the morning um Mm -hmm. in the way that i was a decade ago so i i had um i had been to a noise show that started at 1 a.m and was kind of like well this is funny i can't believe i used to like doing this oh it's stressing me out even just hearing about a show (laughs) at 1 a.m yeah Uh, me too uh (laughs) and maybe two nights later i went over to one of my, my friend's houses and we just watched um, all of Marianne, the French horror oh, yeah. show, just in like one sitting um, at her house. And I was like, this is this is the way I like to party now. Just like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hanging out at my friend's house, like in the daytime, uh, binge watching a TV show. So mm-hmm. I, I kind of chose to do a party song about liking to stay in with friends rather than um, be going out to bars until forever. Um, and right. so the, the ghost is not a, a literal ghost in this song. It's really the, the ghost of your past self who maybe wanted to rack up a big bar tab. And that's just not my, yep. uh, that's not this decade for me. I can relate to that. I can kind of track my, uh, with my job, I, I had to go to Comic-Con every year mm. and, so I probably went to Comic-Con for about 11 years in a row and, and you know, kind of 20s into 30s. And, you know, first Comic-Con, I was like, where are the parties? How are we getting into all these parties? I got to get on the list of those parties. <laughs> Second year, same. Third year, same. Fourth year is kind of like, well, I, we'll go to some of them, but you don't have to get me into all of them. Fifth year, sixth year, it just starts to dwindle to where by the last couple of years, I didn't even want to go to Comic-Con. Yeah. I didn't want to go to any of the parties. If somebody was said, said, hey, we can get you into the blah, 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 I'd be like, I want to be in my hotel room yes. by 9.30. My call time is 6.30 a.m. at the activation for our company or whatever. And nothing was better than being at Comic-Con but getting sleep and getting rest and going to bed. And then I, I could tell, like, wow, I've really kind of gone full circle with my my fandom and how it aligns with my willingness to party. Yep. So um, that's exactly 
Your your Comic Con time is what this song is about. <laughs> That's what this is about. That can be your answer from now on. Just say it's about Bowser's Comic Con time. Yep. What are some other like modern horror that you've enjoyed? Did you like Marianne? I watched that entire thing as well. I, I thought it was very silly, um, <laughs> yeah. but I enjoyed it. I, it gets I, to a point where it's like everything's happening. There's just it's a haunted. I mean, it's a uh, you know like a fun house. It started off kind of strong. There was yeah. a long part in the middle where I was like, this is a little too silly. Then it mm-hmm. really picked up at the end, and everyone was just, you know, spoiler, everybody's dying. Everybody's uh, dying, everybody's <laughs> getting possessed, yeah. But I enjoyed it. And I yeah. like, uh, as I as I have said, I like silly horror like that. Yeah. And I'm fine with, with blood and guts, which, um, so much skin and teeth in that show. So much, just bags of hair and skin. And um, what are some other horror films you've liked recently, or shows, TV shows, anything else? Or even if it's you know so bad it's good. I mean, one of my favorites um, that I talk about constantly. I don't think it's bad at all. But my favorite monster movie is Pumpkinhead, Amazing. which is I just it's just my favorite monster movie, and I think it's a great movie. But when I'm talking to some people, they're like, "Oh yeah, so you kind of like the campy stuff," and I'm like. Yes, even though I just think Pumpkinhead is fantastic. Good. Yeah, I, yeah, I definitely like the campy faves? stuff. Um, and I definitely like the, you know, really more comedy stuff that it has horror themes. Like when I was a right. little kid, the Buffy movie was my favorite movie, constantly oh, renting yeah. from probably Blockbuster. Um, I loved like The Man with Two Brains the mm-hmm. steve martin movie so i like a lot of stuff that that is comedy that that works in the horror vein more than well i, I go it's both ways like my favorite movies ever are the the scream movies um, oh yeah so obviously that's more of a horror movie than a comedy movie but it's got it's very funny moments and um, yeah, it's it very does. self-referential and yeah mm-hmm I was just watching What We Do in the Shadows, the mm, TV show. Yeah. Everyone's telling me I need to watch that. And I I didn't love the um, the movie, but I... Right. Everyone's saying that doesn't matter. <laughs> I know. Well, I, I, think, it, I think it does. I, I think it, it is a very specific brand of humor. And I think if you don't respond to the humor in the film, which I didn't either, um, it'll be difficult to respond to the show. But I will say there's performances on the show that may make you just fall in love with it just because of those actors mm. outside of the brand of humor. I mean, my, one of my favorite comedic actors is on that show. His name is Matt Berry. Okay. This British guy that does an insane show called Taste of London that I love. And so I'll watch What We Do in the Shadows just to see Matt Berry make me laugh once an episode. Um, I don't think the show works as well as it seems like everyone else does. But... There is an episode where Paul Rubens reprises his role from the Buffy film. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> and and watching that, I mean, first of all, he still is so funny. But it reminded me how good that movie was and how well that character worked. Yeah. It was fantastic. So before we listen to the last song that we're going to listen to from your upcoming album. Sure. Um, I wanted to ask one more question about paranormal stuff have you ever lived anywhere personally that's been haunted yes i think you had mentioned that there might have been some places that were well when you were talking about your um, friend's grandmother passing and then the the door opening all the time um my my general feeling i don't have like ghost fear um because i i i've only ever had 
positive, good energy feelings from places that are haunted. Um, right. And I, uh, one of the first times that someone my age passed was a roommate, um, and he oh, wow. died in our apartment. Um, he had had a heart freak heart attack in his sleep. Um, oh wow! And obviously, very traumatic, sad experience at the time. He was one of my closest friends. Yeah. Um, and we just had all these this drama with the the landlords after he died, and we weren't able to move out. Um, so it hmm. was very hard to be in the place where he had died uh, for months after that. Um, and he had like a really, he, he was very funny, very dry sense of humor. Um, definitely enjoyed playing pranks in life. Um, there was like many apartments where not, we always joke this apartment was like the model home from Arrested Development because it was like a new <laughs> construction building where absolutely nothing worked. Uh, there was an alarm system that didn't work. There was, it wasn't like connected to anything. It would never have been working. Uh, and there were a couple moments where anytime we were like talking about this roommate who'd passed away, whose room was basically right outside of it was where this alarm unit was. Um, it would just start going off. So we ha couldn't really help but feel that that was um, him messing wow. with us, letting us know, yeah. like, you guys don't have to be so bummed out. Like, it's okay. Right. Um, yeah. So that was one, and that's the sort of the positive one. But uh, Dylan, who's been walking in the background of me a couple yeah. times over the course of this taping, we lived in a house for a year in Western Mass right before I moved down to Philly that, um, you know, old New England houses, there was a lot of cre creeping, creaking stuff that normally wouldn't jar me quite so much, but something just mm -hmm. felt off to a point where I actually paid money to, there's like, um, I think it's called diedinhouse.com. You can look oh, up whoa, if anyone's know ever died in your house. It's because I was so convinced something was wrong that yeah. I just needed to know. There was something that we referred to as the whistling man, um, the clear sound of a man's voice whistling as if there was a, a lawn that went all around the house. So it was like you would hear it circling the house as if there was a man just pacing around the house and whistling. And there was never anyone outside. And this went on for wow. months. So I'm pretty sure the whistling man was a ghost. He didn't yeah. seem to have died in our house, but uh, that's yeah. so I, I in this in this Vincent Price movie, Monster Club. They talk about a, uh, and not to imply that this is what you were experience, experiencing, but it's just interesting. They talk about a creature called the Shadmok, which I'd never heard of. And the Shadmok is kind of a ghoul type that whistles. Ah, uh, could have been. so it was just interesting. I could have been. I just was watching this movie and I was thinking, oh, I've never see, heard of that. Like a whistling man as a kind of creeper around the house. And then, but in a Shadmok, um, if they, if you hear their whistle, you die. So ah. it might not have been a well, shadow. Well, maybe I'm a ghost, heard, and this is your haunted you're, experience. Exactly. And then you're my first actual ghost guest on the podcast. Twenty twenty. It's time for new experience. Amazing. Exactly. <laughs> I have heard other well, people with whistling. Go I think actually on the, the Queen Mary there is a. Um, and I think we did hear whistling, and we were like, "What the fuck? It must be the the whistling ghost of this boat." But it's a yeah. it's a trope for some reason, and. Um, Having heard them twice now, I guess. The boat could have been a person just whistling in an adjacent room. But the house that sure. we lived in, there would be no way. There were windows everywhere. We would have seen someone pacing around whistling. Exactly. Especially happening so often. And we never saw anyone. 
Amazing. Wow. Well, this last song we're going to listen to is just called Oops. Yes. Correct? Oops dot dot and dot dot exclamation point. point. Yes. So let's take a listen to Oops from Haunted Painting.
All right. So are there any uh, interesting stories behind the creation of, of that song? Um, yeah, this one is, uh, the lyrics are sort of based on a very terrestrial experience. Um, I had a, a horrible venue employee, like physically uh, threaten and verbally assault one of my bandmates. And um, oh my goodness. At the end of this ridiculous experience where he was just, you know, an inch from my bandmate's face shouting insults and threats and, you know, intimidating him, um, he wound up apologizing to me rather than the bandmate, presumably because I'm the smallest person in the band and probably dressed in the most feminine way at the the time of the incident. Um, Right. And I went into full, like, I'm so glad that he came to me with his fake apology because I will now destroy this man's life. Um, yeah. And I was like, great. He doesn't know that I know the owner of this venue and have texted him on my cell phone. And, and I think there's a part of me that, you know, it, in every person there's both good and evil. And I think um, when anyone I love is threatened, I go into a very defensive mode, which is good in some ways. Um, Mm -hmm. In other ways, like the adrenaline high of just wanting to get revenge is a scary (laughs) thing that should not go unchecked. Um, So I kind of wrote the song about that, but the music video is vampire themed because Mm -hmm. I refer to them in the lyrics Um, and thinking about like we talked about how some of the earlier the speedy stuff is very like there's creepy videos and my lyrics have always kind of been in that zone. And I think, um, part of why I grew up, my mom is Catholic and my dad is Jewish. So I got a little bit of both, but I'm not, I would consider myself culturally Jewish, but I don't draw from religious imagery, um, Mm -hmm. in poetry or songwriting. Although there's plenty of like creepy Jewish demons that I should probably explore at some point. Um, but, uh, I, I did an MFA program in poetry and there are plenty of people in that program who have more of the religious background and education and there's so much amazing imagery to draw from when you have that education and I was kind of like I don't really have that but I love to read creepy books I love to read Mm -hmm. you know about occult symbols and you know creatures so I've always kind of drawn from that side of imagery what I'm going for a metaphor rather than Mm -hmm. the you know religious canon that a lot of other artists draw from. Um, yeah. So I think like even in songs that have truly nothing to do with anything supernatural, I'm often bringing in a ghost or a vampire or mm-hmm. a ghoul or something like that. Oh, I think that's fantastic. I mean, it, yeah, it's like writing horror. I, you, you wouldn't listen to that song and know that it came from that specific instance of you getting into a, an argument with this person that worked at the venue, but you do feel... The emotion of that you you feel the anger the vengeance you you know you the imagery that's evoked is something that would lead you to think of a vampire and blood soaked and uh so it it makes sense it's just like when you sit down to write a, a horror movie script you're pulling on things that have made you angry or things that have made you feel animalistic and in touch with certain sides of yourself that yeah that that shouldn't go unchecked but are very important to explore artistically mm-hmm. and i love that it comes out the way it does on this record. I'm 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 here for it for the ghosts and the vampire metaphors. Uh, so tell people where and when they can find the the album and then where they can follow you on social media if you 
if you are on social media. Oh, I'm all over it. Um, <laughs> yeah, the record's called Haunted Painting. It's out September 25th, so you can spend a whole month with it before, you know, your Halloween parties at home alone. Um, mm-hmm. You can find it. You can find it on any of the online retailers, and it'll be in stores as well. But you know, through digital curbside pickup, I don't really know. Um, my yeah. website that you can buy it from. I, I'm so excited to say this URL out loud for the first time on a podcast. Uh, but the project called Sad Thirteen, like S A D one three, and the website is Sad Thirteen dot horse. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so, Why not? Uh, you can. You could get it there. There's a couple other haunted-themed merch items that you can also put into your cart. We got a haunted haunted breakfast, as I was telling you about, which is a yeah. It's a black tea that was harvested under a blood moon. So, oh my gosh! And where can people <laughs> find you on social media? I'm just at Sad Thirteen, so S A D one three across Perfect. all the stuff. Well, thank you so much, Sadie, for being here. I yeah, really that was this really discussion. fun. Awesome. I and good luck on the new record chats. release. Yeah, for sure. Well, if I make it back to the East Coast anytime soon and we do any kind of ghost hunting there, Let's I'll, do it. I'll reach out to you for sure. And same if you come West in the future. I am always trying to stay somewhere haunted. So definitely we will check awesome. some stuff out. Sounds like a plan. Wow, I loved that conversation. I loved talking to Sadie. I really love the songs that I've heard from the new album. I listened to them on my hike, and I got a lot of inspiration when it comes to those creepy visuals. They were creepy, creeping into my into my head. Um, make sure you check out her on social media and get the album Haunted Painting when it comes out on September 25th. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Untold Hour Pod. And make sure you follow us on Instagram at The Untold Hour. And if you have a listener story, please email theuntoldhourpod at gmail.com. I'm going to read some listener stories probably in the maybe near kind of future, is how I'll put it. Soon I will read listener stories. In fact, we're so backed up, maybe I'll do a whole episode of listener stories. What do y'all think about that? It'll be solo with Bow Wow, listener stories hour. Anyway, until next time, I've been Andrew Bowser, and you've been listening to The Untold Hour. Bye! A podcast network.